Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is no secret that states like California have turned into left-wing dystopias. So why not leave? Why are Republicans or even independents staying? They have to deal with crime. They have to deal with woke nonsense. They have to deal with homelessness. A variety of issues that they're facing as a result of left-wing policies driven by Governor Gavin Newsom. So, so why not leave? We'll talk to one man who wrote a book about trying to save California. He's out with a new book called As Goes California, My Mission to Rescue the Golden State and Save the Nation. He also decided to challenge Gavin Newsom in the 2021 recall. His name is Larry Elder. You know him. He's a radio host, best-selling author, and commentator. We're going to talk to him about his decision to stay in California, why he's doing it. Does he really think there's even the potential of change there? We'll also get into a whole host of other issues. He's also decided to throw his name in the hat for the 2024 presidential race. We'll get into that and a bunch of other issues that are just plaguing the nation. Don't miss this interview with Larry Elder. Larry Elder, it's an honor to have you on the show. I've not had you on. I don't think, I don't even know, have we, I don't know if we've met in person. I've followed your work. I obviously know who you are. I follow you on Twitter. It's an honor to have you on the show. We've not met in person, but, um, you know, I followed you as well. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll have to change that. I hope to meet you in person someday. You're really pretty charming, Lisa. It'll It'll be a treat. That's, you know what, Larry, that is what I've heard. So <laughs> I, I've, I've only heard great things about you. So, <laughs> you know, Larry, we look at, you know, I left New York, right? I, I was in New York for, for three years and uh, left during COVID, just saw the direction things were going in and said, you know what, I, I, mean, I still have to go up for work, unfortunately, but I, I live in Florida now. You're still in California. You know, why not just leave? Well, this is my my hometown. I was born here. My father came here uh, right before the war, World War II. And then when the war was over, he was in the military. He was in the Marines. Uh, he came out here because he thought it was less racist in the South, which is where he's from. So all my roots are here. My, my pastor is here. My friends are here. And I'm one of those who feels, Lisa, at some point, like a drug addict, the voters are going to hit rock bottom and begin to rethink how they've been voting. Democrats have controlled this state for 
forever. Uh, we've got super majorities of Democrats in the Assembly uh, and in the Senate, the two chambers of our legislature, uh, and they pass one job-killing bill after another, one brain-dead bill after another, and then we have a left-wing governor who signs them. Uh, we've got crime. We've got uh, a homelessness problem. Uh, our schools are right near the bottom of all 50 states. People are leaving the state for the first time in 170 years. Our the average price of a home in California is 175% above the national average. We have poor fire management, poor water management. And at some point, you think that the voters are going to say uncle, but they don't. But sooner or later, they've got to. Uh, we've got a we've gone from a hundred billion dollar budget surplus that Gavin Newsom bragged about now to about a $30 billion government deficit. And we have, wait for it, a $1.5 trillion underfunded pension liability. So sooner or later, the voters are going to have to rethink their assumptions. And I hope I hope I'm still I hope I'm around when that happens. But, you know, I mean, laying that all out, I mean, it's bad. You know, I mean, you see, you know, videos, it just looks like a dystopia. You've got, you know, homeless people walking around doing drugs in the middle of the streets, pooping in the middle of the streets. So it's like, what does rock bottom look like? Well, that's a good question. I was just reading today in the uh, L.A. Times had a front page article about what the new mayor is doing uh, to to solve the homelessness problem. And what she's done is she's offered them somewhere to go. Uh, and if they don't go, uh, you can't force them. So until and unless voters have come to the point where you are not going to be on the streets, either you're going to jail or you're going to go to a bed that we have somewhere, or you're going to go to rehab, one of the three, but you will not be allowed to remain on the streets until the voters are ready to do that and until the courts are ready to enforce those laws uh, that require them to do one of those three things, we're going to have these problems. And again, sooner or later, it's going to get so bad that I believe the voters are going to begin to rethink their assumptions. When did you start seeing the state take a nosedive? I imagine COVID, the state's response to COVID, you know, led to a lot of the downturn that we're seeing now. It accelerated it, certainly. But uh, no, it's been it's been bad for a long time. We uh, spend half of our budget goes to the schools, K through 12. And again, as I mentioned, they're near the bottom. Seventy five percent of black boys in California can neither read nor do math at grade level. Uh, and then, of course, COVID came along and Gavin Newsom shut down the state in a more severe way than did any of the other 49 governors. A third of all restaurants, many of them are owned by mom and poppers who are black and brown. The very people that people on the left claim that they care about are now gone forever. Uh, we have rising crime in L.A., rising crime in the Bay Area, rising crime in San Diego, all because of these soft on crime DAs, all of whom uh, Gavin Newsom has either publicly supported or in the case of George Gascon, the soft on crime DA of L.A. County, he appointed him to the uh, DA's job in the Bay Area. Uh, and then Gascon comes down here and runs and gets elected. So uh, things are getting worse and worse and worse, in my opinion. We've lost about 500,000 people in California in the last uh, three or four years. And Gavin Newsom is running around the country thinking that someday he's going to become president. Yeah, it's outrageous. Again, I think that sooner or later, the voters have to begin to rethink their assumptions. I just hope I'm around when they begin to do so. I really don't think enough can be said about just the damage these Soros-supported DAs have done in so many places around the country. I mean, it, it really is just devastating how much wreckage one man has done in America. 
Well, that's right. That's one of my campaign issues. That's when I decided to run for president, that's one of the things I'm going to be talking about. One of the first things I'm going to do uh, when I get to the White House, Lisa, is, is sign an executive order uh, that cuts off the money to these uh, counties where the soft on crime DAs uh, exist, federal money, because the number one responsibility of government is to protect people and property, and they're not doing it. One of the things I'm proposing in Iowa, Iowa is the first contest, the caucus is going to be uh, late January, early February, is I'm proposing to the Iowa legislature that they set up a commission, as they've done in Georgia, mostly of, uh, of judges, so that when you have these soft on crime DAs, and they've got one in Des Moines, Iowa, uh, who's not do- doing the job, that DA can be uh, can be recalled. Uh, again, this is just, and again, the, the people that are most hurt by all of these are the very black and brown people that people on the left purport to care about. This this lie that the police are engaging in systemic racism is causing the police to pull back. It's called the Ferguson effect or the George Floyd effect. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of what uh, one researcher calls excess deaths. In other words, people who are dead, who wouldn't be dead if the police were doing their normal proactive policing. And again, the majority of these people who are now dead are the black and brown people that people on the left claim that they care about. Well, it has just been distorted and into such a lie or just the, the racial dynamics play such a strong role in the narrative of these things. I mean, you look at the Jordan Neely, uh, Daniel Penny situation. I mean, Honestly, if Daniel Penny wasn't white, I, I really don't think it would have gotten the kind of attention it has or he wouldn't be getting the kind of criticism he's gotten, to be honest. Well, I agree. And that's what the left, the media, the Democrats do. Uh, they push this argument that America is systemically racist. The reason they do it is because they want black voters to be angry and so that they'll vote 90, 95 percent for the Democratic Party. That's one of the reasons I'm running uh, to refute this lie that America is systemically racist. Uh, the other reason I'm running is because we don't talk about the 10,000 pound elephant in the room, Lisa, and that is the epidemic of fatherlessness. Seventy percent of black kids enter the world without a father in the home married to the mother. Uh, and the odds are that when you are raised without a father, a much higher chance of being poor, of dropping out of school, of ending up in jail. And we don't talk enough about the fact that uh, the welfare state has over the last 50, 60 years incentivized women to marry the government and incentivize men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And that's one of the reasons I'm running and asking people to go to elderforpresident.com, throw something in the tip jar so I can get on that debate stage in Milwaukee, Lisa, and say some of the things to the country that I've said to you. I've got to raise um, 40, I've got to get donations from 40,000 individuals uh, and 200 out of each of 20 states in order to qualify for that first debate. And once I get up there, as far as I'm concerned, it's game on. Hold my beer. <laughs> Hold my beer. I like that. You know, I do think that the fatherlessness is a, is a huge issue. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you, you brought that up. And it, it is just so important. But I mean, if you really think about it, the left wants women to be married to the government, right? They don't want fathers. I really don't believe the left wants fathers involved because they want people who are beholden to the government. And so they're trying to dismantle, you know, family, dismantle faith, dismantle anything that gives you roots. They want you susceptible to, to needing the government and, and, you know, being dependent on the government. Whether that's their intent or, or whether it's the effect, it really doesn't matter. The effect is to make people more dependent upon government. The L.A. Times, I think it was in the mid 80s, did a poll of people who were poor and asked them whether welfare was an intermediate step to get you uh, to a state of, of independence or whether it was a crutch that made you dependent on the government. More of them, Lisa, said it was a crutch that made you dependent than said it was an intermediary a step to get you to become independent. So people who are on welfare are aware that it's a trap. Uh, even FDR, who launched the 
the, uh, the New Deal, even he referred to welfare as a, quote, subtle narcotic, close quote, that makes people uh, dependent. So it's not a good idea, and we need to be rethinking that. And one of the things I'm proposing uh, is that the money that we spend for welfare, individuals should be able to, on their tax returns, donate where they want that money to go. Uh, more, more likely churches and other nonprofits in their own area, where they're more likely to be able to help the people uh, and be able to change people's behavior and habits so they become uh, independent. Again, this is a really, really big issue that our side does not talk enough about. You know, and Lisa, I, I know that the polls show that most Republicans and those who are leaning Republican uh, support Donald Trump in the primary. Uh, and he did a great job as president against huge, huge um, headwinds uh, from his own party often. Uh, and I love what he did as president. But I fear that he cannot win in the general, not for reasons that are fair to him. There's something called Trump derangement syndrome. And maybe someday they'll develop a vaccine for it. But until then, if you've lost friends because of Donald Trump, if you can't talk to coworkers because of Donald Trump, if you have a strained relationship with your family members because of Donald Trump, Houston, we've got a problem. Uh, and that problem is that there are a lot of people in this country, swing voters, particularly suburban women who would not vote for 45 if he walked on water. In fact, if he did, they say he can't swim. So if that's your analysis and that's my analysis, you need somebody who's got the America first agenda on borders, on judges, uh, school choice, on the economy, but for whom a sufficient number of swing voters can pull that lever for that person. And if that's your analysis and that's my analysis, then I'm your man. What did you learn about Gavin Newsom running against him in the, the recall? I learned that he does not want to debate. There was a lot of pressure on me to debate my fellow Republicans. I did not because I figured we'd be in a circular firing squad and all they would do is use the uh, the audio and the sound and hit ads. And I, every time I was asked to debate my fellow Republicans, I said, the person I want to debate is Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom is not the problem. The fellow Republicans are not the problem. We pretty much all know what the problems are. The problem is Gavin Newsom. And what I learned is that he was too cowardly to, to, to debate me. Uh, I got outspent about eight to one. In came the unions, in came Hollywood, in came Big Tech. And they all said the same thing, Lisa. They said, stop the Republican takeover. Nobody said Gavin Newsom is doing a great job on schools, doing a great job on crime, doing a great job on the budget, on the cost of living, on the fact that people are leaving. They all said the same thing. Stop Republican takeover. And they showed a picture that I once took with Donald Trump with both our thumbs up a million times. I could count the ridges on my fingers. They showed it so often. Even though Donald Trump did not endorse me, I did not seek his endorsement because I wanted it to be a California race, but they turned it into a national referendum on Donald Trump because that's how they believe they can win. Is it effective? It's effective in California. They tried it in Virginia uh, with uh, Terry McAuliffe versus Glenn Youngkin, and it blew up in their faces for a couple of reasons. The first is that uh, Terry McAuliffe had to debate his opponent. Uh, Gavin Newsom was able to get away without debating me. And secondly, the media in Virginia are a lot more fair than the media out here uh, in California. I was called by the LA Times, wait for it, the black face of white supremacy. Another LA Times columnist referred to my views as white supremacists. When, when, when the race was over, I go back to radio to finish out my contract, and I invited the woman they called me the black face of white supremacy on my show to explain why I'm the black face of white supremacy. Not too surprisingly, she refused to come on. So uh, the media were very unfair. Many of, uh, Virtually all the, the newspapers in California both opposed the recall, called it anti-democratic, even though it's in our 
Constitution, and they endorsed and re-endorsed Gavin Newsom, having endorsed him the first time. So that's what I had to run against. And Republicans are outnumbered in California. Registered Republicans are outnumbered by non-registered Republicans, uh, three to one. Uh, and again, I got outspent, as I said, and there were campaign finance limitations on me. There were no finance limitations and spending limitations on Gavin Newsom. So he spent and spent and spent. Had to spend, by the way, uh, 50 percent more per voter to keep his job than he did to get his job. Do you think he ends up being the 2024 nominee or, or who do you think is going to end up being the Democrat nominee? No, Lisa, if Joe Biden can fog up a mirror, he will be the nominee. If he cannot do it, then it will be Kamala Harris. Why? Because blacks are the most loyal part of the Democrat base and black females are even more loyal. I saw a poll in the LA Times a few months ago that showed among blacks, Kamala Harris had a 70 percent approval. It wasn't broken down by gender, but I assure you, black females like her even more. And if she is perceived to be to be uh, as having been drop kicked in favor of somebody else, especially in favor of a white male like Gavin Newsom or Mayor Pete, uh, black women won't vote Republican, but they'll be, they'll be so angry they won't vote at all, thereby ensuring whoever it is we nominate will win. So they can't afford to run that risk. And they can't put Gavin Newsom on the ticket with her uh, because even he's more radical than she is. I mean, this is the guy who signed that law that set up that reparations panel. Uh, he's the guy that uh, is mandating a ethnic studies course for everybody who graduates from high school, uh, outlawing the sale of new gas-powered cars by 2035. Uh, he supported uh, two propositions that reduced a whole bunch of, of crimes to nonviolent offenses so that now if you assault a police officer, that's a nonviolent offense. Serial arson is a nonviolent offense. Rape of an intoxicated uh, a person is a nonviolent offense, all because of measures uh, that Gavin Newsom backed. Uh, he's the one that mandates if you are a large a toy retail store owner, you have to have a gender neutral toy section in case your girl wants to buy a soldier or your boy wants to buy a doll. They need to have a safe space where they can do that. People have no idea how radical this guy is. And once they do, uh, he'll be rejected. So I don't believe he'll ever be the party's nominee, but he thinks he will be. I've heard Michelle Obama's name be floated. Zero chance. Michelle Obama uh, wants to be liked. As you know, once you decide to run for office, 40% of the American people are going to hate your guts no matter what party you are. She doesn't want that any more than Oprah Winfrey wants that. No. Uh, uh, and, and remember how many times um, uh, Michelle Obama complained about being first lady? Can you imagine her being president and being slammed after she takes an issue here or there and being attacked personally? She doesn't want that. So the only way you can drop kick Kamala Harris is for another popular black female who's a Democrat, name somebody. We already named the only two that, that could fit those shoes. So no, they're stuck with her. And that's why they're trying to rehabilitate her. I read the New York Times, so you don't have to. Uh, and I watch a lot of CNN and MSNBC, MSNBC, which is what I call it. So you don't have to. <laughs> Thank and you. all of a sudden, there are all these positive stories about Kamala Harris, because they've got to rehabilitate her. Uh, because even if you vote for Joe Biden, you know that you're voting for Kamala Harris because he's going to hand over the baton as soon as he gets across the finish line. It's just a question of when he does so. And depending upon when he does so, she could finish out his term and then run two more times. So we could almost get 10 years of, of Kamala Harris. So that's what's at stake. And that's why I'm running. You don't think that uh, Michelle would want the power? No, no. I mean, sure. She, you know, what, what Walter Cronkite, the long term anchor for CBS, once said, I'd love to be a senator. I hate to have to run. 
So if you could figure out some sort of way of appointing her, I'm sure she'd love the job. But she wouldn't want to go through what I'm going through, being called all sorts of names, having to raise money, having to defend yourself, having to debate, have people distort your your, your views. She doesn't want that. Politics is a rough tough, ugly business. And being first lady was one thing. And that was hard enough. She complained about being first lady all the time. I can't imagine that she has a personality and the stomach uh, and the requisite thickness of skin to be president, to run for president. Let's take a quick commercial break. More with Larry Elder. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of what do is that is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You talked about some of the things that people said about you when you ran. What did you think when you read a column that said you are the black face of white supremacy? I imagine that that was, one, a little confusing, <laughs> and then two, what the heck? You're laughing, Lisa, and that's what I did. I laughed at it. I mean, how do you take that seriously? Because I'm pro-life, because I support strong borders, because I support choice in uh, in education, because I think America is overtaxed and overregulated. I'm the black face of white supremacy because I deny uh, the lie that America is systemically racist. It is not systemically racist. It's the only majority white country in the world that's ever elected a, a, a black person for president. Uh, there's a Harvard sociologist, he's a left-wing guy, as all sociologists are, voted twice for Obama. In the 90s, he wrote, Black Americans are the best fed, best housed, best educated, 
uh, most prosperous blacks in all of the countries of the world, including all of those of Africa. Why do you suppose people, as we speak, Lisa, Haitians, are lining up to get a, a lottery to get a shot at coming to America because America is systemically racist? Nonsense. The three largest cities in America today, New York, L.A., Chicago, all have black mayors. Um, how does that happen in a country that's systemically racist? And in 2016, the city of over 100 that most voted for, for Donald Trump was Abilene, Texas. 85% voted for Donald Trump. The city is 140 years old. Guess which city of 140 years of age after the election of Donald Trump voted for its first black mayor, Abilene, Texas. How does that happen? It's a lie that America is systemically racist and all it's doing is pitting Americans against Americans and causing young black people not to work as hard as they should work because after all, what's the point? Am I putting in all these man hours on math and on reading when sooner or later some white racist is going to stop me from being successful? It is a lie. Uh, it's a lie that's putting Americans against each other and it's hurting the very people that people on the left, again, purport to care about, primarily black people. Well, in The Atlantic recently, Larry, I don't know if you saw this, The Atlantic recently ran an article about how Latinos can be white supremacists as well now. So we're, we're really expanding, I guess, the categories of white supremacy in America. But it begs the question, why do they want to push this narrative, though? Like, why are they intentionally trying to pit people against each other on racial lines? What's beneath it? I think some percentage of them actually believe it. They've been taught that. They've been spoon-fed it by the media, by Hollywood, by academia. Uh, but I think uh, on the part of, of politicians, people like Nancy Pelosi, uh, like Chuck Schumer, oh, they know it's a lie. And again, they're doing it because they want black people not to focus on crime, not to focus on schools, not to focus on being sufficiently competitive so they can compete in our digital age. They want black people to focus on social justice and equity, however you define that. Uh, and they've been able to successfully convince black people that they wear the white hat in the fight for social justice and these dastardly Republicans over there, they wear the black hat. So go in there and pull that lever for us. That's why they do it. They do it for power. Larry, what concerns you? I mean, obviously, there are a whole host of issues that we're facing as a country. But what concerns you the most about where we are right now as a nation? The spending. Um, you know, this deal that Kevin McCarthy thought he reached uh, with, with Schumer uh, would have put a little Band-Aid, it would have slowed down a little bit of the spending. Uh, but even he concedes in the two years, we're right, right back to where we are. Uh, in 1900, Lisa, at all three levels, federal, state and local, uh, government took less than 9% from the American people. Today, government at all three levels takes about 32%. And if you put a price on mandates, government takes almost half of what the American people produce. The only way to stop this is through an amendment to the Constitution that fixes spending to a certain percentage of the GDP with exceptions for war and for natural disaster. Other than that, both parties spend. My favorite president of my lifetime, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan ran to eliminate the Department of Education. When he left, the department was bigger than ever and government was around 30 percent larger. Both parties spend. You don't get elected by saying, I'm going to take this away from you. I'm going to end this program. Uh, and I'll use a word to describe the so-called entitlements, Lisa, and that word is unsustainable. Barack Obama once used that word uh, in describing the entitlements programs, as did Bill Clinton. But any Republican who mentions it, then they sh do the commercial and they show you uh, uh, with granny in a wheelchair throwing her over the cliff. So the only way to truly reform these programs uh, is to force people to reform them. And the only way to do that is to pass a law that requires you to reform, to reform them so that you're put in a room, you lock the door, and Democrats and Republicans don't come out until the budget is balanced and it is been 
limited to that percentage uh, that the that the law now requires them to limit it to. And then they can say, the devil made me do it. Please uh, still uh, uh, elect me because I want to get reelected. Otherwise, we're going to kick this problem down the road and younger people are going to have to have their taxes raised to pay for the unsustainable Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid and now Obamacare that they're going to be responsible for down the road. Yeah, I mean, it's like both parties spend a ton of money. It, it seems to be more of the argument of what we spend an enormous amount of money on is really where the where the argument comes down. And that's right. When um, when it's uh, Democrats spending, we call it poor. When we spend it, we call it uh, investments in infrastructure. Uh, when Ronald Reagan came in, uh, you know, he promised to reduce the size of government and a whole bunch of young Turks uh, started working for him, one of whom was a guy named David Stockman. He was his head of office and management and budget. And he was there for a few years. And he wrote a book and described program after program after program on the chopping block, income, whoever it was who were going to be hurt by that. Uh, and then the, the administration backed away. He wrote a book called uh, the Triumph of American Politics, where he outlined all these programs that should have been slashed, that were not only slashed, but when he left, they were bigger than before. And that's because, as I said earlier, you don't run for office, you don't win by taking things away from people. Ronald Reagan says, once you have a program, uh, if it breathes, tax it. Uh, if it uh, still breathes, regulate it. If it still breathes, subsidize it. And you cannot kill a program with a stick once it's been started. I can't think of very many programs at all that have been started uh, and that have been eliminated down the road, even though we no longer need them. T take a look at Amtrak. Take a look at PBS. When I was a kid, there were a handful of stations. Now we have 500 stations. We still have PBS. Why? Tennessee Valley Authority was set up in order to provide electricity to the poor rural South. Well, the South is not poor anymore. You, we still have the TVA that's still run by government. Why? I can think of a whole bunch of programs that ought not exist, that will not exist if you force those politicians to limit spending to a fixed percentage of the GDP. I agree with that, but you would have to get it done through Congress, right? So how would that? Either that or a convention of states uh, so that uh, you can then propose amendments to the Constitution. Look, it's a long process. And that's one of the things that, that you enjoy uh, as president. You have the, the bully pulpit. That's probably the most powerful uh, part of being president, that and, and nuclear bombs. Uh, and get up there and talk about what I just talked to you about constantly and so that the voters are motivated to put pressure on their local politicians. So either Congress uh, does some sort of amendment or you do a convention of states so that they do the amendment. But either way, the American people are going to have to be educated enough to know that this has to happen. I remember when Ross Perot for a while was talking about debt and deficit. I remember him buying time on one of the major networks to show up these little graphs where he pointed out the problem we're having with our debt and deficit. The next day after he did one of these programs, Lisa, I'm in the office building uh, where I work, and I saw two janitors talking about the debt and deficit. So you educate people, explain to people so that they recognize it's in their best interest and they will put pressure on their local politicians. And lo and behold, you can then move the needle. Quick break. More with Larry. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, 
I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of what do is that is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You had mentioned some of the stuff Gavin Newsom is doing with kids and on the transgender issue. Why is the left so dead set to push this on young people? Well, that's their latest way of, of showing how heartless and cold and insensitive Republicans are. Uh, it's their new climate change. Uh, how many uh, transgender people are there? 0.05%, something like that. So now you're defining me by how I, re, how I, re, how I react to 0.05% of the population. It's their new way of you say the wrong thing, you say something insensitive, uh, and lo and behold, you're a bigot. They can put you in the category, uh, and that's what they do for power. Are Republicans astute enough to, to make the case that it is actually evil and wrong to do this to kids, to, to chop a, a young girl's breasts off or a young boy's penis off or to put them on puberty blockers that are going to lead them to infertility and a lifelong of care and complications from surgeries? I mean, that shouldn't be a hard argument to sell. It isn't a hard argument to sell. And I polls to me show the majority of, of, of people feel the way you feel and the way I feel about this issue. It's just a matter of explaining it and explaining why it is that Democrats push this. They're pushing it again to define you uh, as a bigot, as transphobic, as anti-trans people. Uh, you're just a Republican bigot. I saw a poll a few years ago, Lisa, 61% of Democrats believe Republicans are racist slash bigoted slash sexist. Over 80% believe that Donald Trump uh, is a racist. Uh, and this is what they do. They put you in a category because they don't want to have a conversation. The former executive editor of the New York Times, his name was Dean Bacay. He once said this in one of these unguarded, candid moments. The left, as a general rule, does not want to hear thoughtful disagreement. I repeat, the left, as a general rule, does not want to hear 
thoughtful disagreement. This is what the executive editor of the New York Times admitted about left-wing people. And that's where we are in this country. Rather than have a conversation uh, along the lines of what you just now did about the downside of allowing kids uh, to change their sex, uh, they're just call you a name, call you a bigot, and they move on. That's what the left does in this, in this, in this uh, country. And that's one of the reasons why I believe I can effectively deal with this. My mother was a lifelong Democrat, my dad a lifelong Republican, and they used to argue across the kitchen table about all sorts of issues. Nobody called anybody a fascist. Nobody called anybody a racist. Nobody called anybody a Nazi. Nobody said you only care about the rich, you don't care about the poor. They debated issues with passion, but they did it civilly. I don't know why we cannot do that in this country. Well, I, I, I wish we could. You know, definitely doesn't seem like that's the direction we're heading in, but I, you know, I wish that was the case. You know, I'm always interested in how people get into their careers. So you practice law for a little bit after going to the University of Michigan Law School. Why switch to media? You know, what was sort of I mean, obviously, you've been tremendously successful, but kind of what what shifted gears in the sense of, you know what, the heck with the law? I want to want to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I practiced law for a little less than three years. I started a little business placing lawyers with law firms and corporations. I was a legal headhunter. And one day I'm watching a television and I'm watching an interview and I thought the interviewer was doing a bad job. And I started yelling at the television set. And my girlfriend said, if you think you can do a better job, why don't you do it? I said, OK, fine. I picked up the phone, Lisa. I talked myself into getting a job uh, at a PBS station where I co-hosted a show and they liked me so much. I ended up hosting that show. And then I got another show for the local Fox affiliate called The Larry Elder Show. How I got into radio, I began writing op-ed pieces for the newspaper. They published one, this is about almost 40 years ago, where I said racism was no longer a major factor in American life. I get a phone call from a producer of a radio show. He said, I read your article today. Are you black? And I said, I've been told. And he said, you don't believe racism is a major problem in America? I said, no, I don't. He said, would you come on my guy's show tonight and talk about it? I said, sure. I was on the show for an hour and Cleveland is almost 50% black. So most of the callers were black and they were not having it. They were calling me an Uncle Tom and a foot, shuff foot shuffling Uncle Tom and a bug eyed Uncle Tom. Uh, one, of me, one of them even called me the Antichrist. And one even called me the name that you call a black person when you really want to hurt his feelings, Republican. So I did that for an hour and I said to myself, I'll never do that again. I get back uh, home and uh, back to my office, rather, and the phone is ringing and it's the station manager of that radio station. He said, you were amazing. I said, I was. He said, oh, my God, you have a good speaking voice. Uh, you took difficult positions. You defended them without losing your temper or your sense of humor. Have you ever thought about doing talk radio? And I said, no. He said, I've got a guy going on vacation. Will you sit in for him? And I said, no. He said, why? I said, I don't like it. What don't you like? I don't like yelling at people. I don't like being yelled at. He said, are you married? At the time I was. He said, do me a favor, go home tonight, talk it over with your wife and call me tomorrow. I said, I'll do that, but I doubt that I'll change my mind. So I was married at the time, Lisa. I went home. I mentioned it to my wife and she said, well, what do you what do you know about talk radio? I said, I know nothing about it other than it seems shallow, glib and stupid. She said, it is. You'd be good at it. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I did it for that week and I loved it. And it took me about two years to meet the right people. I met Dennis Prager ultimately. And Dennis recommended me to uh, KBC in L.A. And they gave me a two-day audition. After one day, they uh, made me an offer. Uh, and I've been doing radio ever since then. I've been syndicated nationally in about uh, 300 markets. Before I ran for governor, I was in 
uh, as I mentioned, 300 markets, 1.5 million people heard me every day. Uh, and I had, a, I had a long career in radio. And then I had two nationally syndicated TV shows uh, in my life. One was called Larry Oda Show. Another one was called Moral Court, like a judge show, like a Judge Judy show. So I've done that. And right before I ran for president, I was doing TV with Epic Times. I had a, a show online and on um, cable on uh, for Epic Times. And in the unlikely event that I don't become the next president of the United States, I'll probably go back to either TV or radio or maybe even both. Isn't it crazy how life can just take you on? You know, you, you just talked about a couple different things like the girlfriend being like, well, why don't you do it better? Or your wife being like, why not try? You know, it's it's crazy sometimes how life takes you down these roads that, you you know, originally you rejected the idea and then it ended up being this huge career, right? So it's just kind of crazy how life works like that. Well, you've heard the line, man makes plans, God laughs. Exactly. I never even two and a half years ago, three years ago, would have thought that I'd run for anything. I ran for third grade class president. And I remember not liking that, even though I won that election. And fast forward, I ran for governor and now I'm running for president. I never in a million years thought I would do any of that. But little by little, I began feeling that I've always thought of politics as a spectator sport. And little by little, I began thinking that maybe I had something to contribute. I know I had something to say. And my dad, as I mentioned, was a uh, uh, World War II vet. He was a Marine, one of the first Marines. They were called the Monfort Point Marines. My older brother, Kirk, was in the Navy. He was a Vietnam-era vet. My little brother, Dennis, was in the Army. He did go to Vietnam. I'm the only one in my family who didn't serve. And I never felt good about that, Lisa. And I really felt that I had a moral and a political and a patriotic obligation to give back to a country that's been so good uh, to my family and to me. And that's why I'm doing this. I would much rather not be uh, spend my winters in Iowa, rather not spend my winters uh, in New Hampshire. And as I said earlier, if I really thought that Donald Trump could convince enough swing voters so that he could win in 2024, uh, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. That is a concern I share as well about you know him just being toxic to to independents, which are the key to to winning. Before we go, talk about your new book, As Goes California: My Mission to Rescue the Golden State and Save the Nation. Well, it's available uh, on Amazon or in Barnes and Noble, and I wrote it in part to talk a little bit about my background, tell a little bit about who and what I, made me the way I am. I talk about my mom, my dad, my brothers. I talk about why I decided to run uh, for governor in California. I talk about the issues uh, that I tried to address uh, in, in when I ran. And then I talk about what my agenda uh, is when I run for president. So it's all in there. California, the nation, my own background, uh, and why I'm doing this. And I'm doing this, as I said before, for uh, reasons that I think I'm, I'm, I, I would not be happy with Larry Elder if I go to my grave uh, knowing that I did not do what I thought I should have done uh, to help my country. And that's what the book is all about. Well, awesome. Well, it sounds interesting. And that's out now. People can go get it, correct? Absolutely. You can go on Amazon or Barnes & Noble right now. Larry Elder, it is a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show, sir. I really enjoyed our conversation. Appreciate you entering into the arena to try to change the country. And I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, Lisa, and again, I need uh, contributions from 40,000 individual donors. And you can help by going to elderforpresident.com. At the very least, don't you want me to get up there on that debate stage and say some of the stuff that you just now heard me talk to Lisa about? Elderforpresident.com. Thanks so much, Larry. Appreciate it. Lisa, thank you for having me. God bless. That was Larry Elder. Appreciate him taking the time to come on the show. Addressed a lot of really important issues that we're facing as a country. I want to thank you guys at home for listening every Monday and Thursday, but you can listen throughout the week. I want to thank John Cassio, my producer, for putting the show together. Until next time.
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.